Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cardboard Box Seats. Hi Nick. Hey Gabe. What's going on, man? Uh, I feel like I haven't been able to see you or anyone anytime soon with all this social distancing going on. Oh, you're actually following the rules. Good for you, man. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I, I'm, I also am, just for clarification. Good, um, good. Well, I don't have a cough. Do you have a cough at all? <coughs> no, I'm good. Oh, that's good, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Good to, <coughs> good to hear. Yeah, but in all seriousness, if you are listening to this episode during the coronavirus pandemic, be safe out there. Limit the spread of actual contagion that you may or may not know that you have. Um, We can take it from Rudy Gobert, who touched everyone's microphones and then proceeded to say, oh, yeah, I don't believe in the coronavirus. I don't see it. Well, let that be a lesson. It's not Santa. Just it's because not you Santa. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not real, Rudy. Corona is a thing, man. It's Corona time. But also, <laughs> I'll go get my trumpet. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Wash your hands. Stay active. Um, and that's something that our next guest, Ken Mountner, will be talking with us about. And he's the he's the team doctor for a whole bunch of people, right, Nick? That's right, man. He he does it all, and we we were really excited to to land this interview. So we we hope you like it, Nick. Just for old times' sake, play that saxophone. <laughs> Have you ever heard of an armchair quarterback? It means someone has an opinion but doesn't necessarily participate in the sport. But it also means that they care enough about the sport to discuss it and try to make it better. In our basketball world, we call this cardboard box seats. We see the game from afar like true fans, but we always show up with the same intensity as if we were at the games ourselves. We don't have the money or the connections like the other talking heads on TV, but we do have some ideas which might seem too out there, and honestly, we've got opinions which might change. Either way, we have fun, so come and watch the game with us from our cardboard box seats. Hey everyone, welcome back to Cardboard Box Seats. Gabe's here. Nick's here. Paging Dr. Mountner. Dr. Mountner to the podcast. Hey guys, how are you doing today? We're doing great, Dr. Ken. Uh, today we have a special guest with us. He is a team doctor for not just the Atlanta Hawks, but also the Atlanta Braves and the Harlem Globetrotters. And he also works alongside Emory University. Dr. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. We're all about the medical field. We love having people like you on here. So just go ahead and give us and tell us our listeners uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Ken Mountner. Uh, I am a sports medicine physician. Uh, I've been in practice now for about 15 years. I trained, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, mostly at Emory uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, my residency was in something called physical medicine and rehabilitation, and then I did I did a one-year sports medicine fellowship um, in Birmingham, Alabama, under Dr. Andrews, Dr. Ray, and some of the well-known doctors over in that clinic. And then I came back to to Emory. So. Um, my practice is actually non-surgical sports medicine. I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but I, I treat a lot of uh, athletes and athletes of all ages and ability, I like to say, both in my clinical practice as well as with the uh, teams I take care of. Can you give us kind of like a scenic route to your career, like how you got to, to be the team doctor for three teams? Yeah, so 
Um, I came back to Emory in 2004, and our sports medicine department was very small at the time, uh, just two or three of us in the department. And so at the time, we took care of Georgia Tech, and that was in Emory University, and those were probably the only two schools that we took care of. So most of my daily practice was just, you know, seeing patients, everyday patients who injured themselves, um, treating them. Over the years, as I got more comfortable and started doing more things, more opportunities become available to not only myself, but also as a healthcare system, Emory Sports Medicine became a, a bigger brand, and, and uh, we started having some of the teams approach us about taking care of them. So our group takes care of the Atlanta Falcons. That started about eight or nine years ago. And then about four or five years ago, uh, the Atlanta Hawks approached us and, and uh, we started to take care of them, and we built this brand-new uh, state-of-the-art sports medicine facility where they practice in our facility and we're there in the clinic right next door to them every day. It's a very great uh, symbiotic relationship. Yeah, then I, I was named their head team physician and I've been doing that now for four years and that's been great. And then following that, Atlanta Braves and, and Harlem Globetrotters and some of these other groups also approached us about helping take care of their athletes. And, and uh, you know, now we're the official healthcare providers of, of almost all these groups and, and it's been fantastic. So... Knowing your background, did you decide that you wanted to become a team doctor for like a professional sports team, or was that kind of like, oh, cool, we'll go with this? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I, I always knew I wanted to do sports medicine, and so even coming out of training, um, I did have an interest in professional athletes. And you know, when you're in this profession, when you're in any profession, if you aspire to be really good, you want to take care of the best of the best. And so uh, there are lots of ways to do that. Um, and certainly, uh, living in Atlanta being involved in the professional sports team was definitely something that I, that I was interested in. But, you know, it took me 12 years to get there. And so it's not something that happens overnight. Some of it is definitely luck and being in the right place at the right time. And hopefully some of it is kind of working hard and, and uh, showing folks that, that you're a good physician and you treat patients right and, you know, you're, you're doing the right things in the field that people want you to take care of their teams. You know, with the Hawks specifically, from my background, there's not a lot of folks in my background, uh, meaning that I'm not an orthopedic surgeon who get to be a head team physician and, and, and kind of the one in, in charge of the team. And so, you know, that's been just a great honor. And, and not only do, you know, I get to kind of manage all the athletes and all the players with the Hawks, but we also end up, you know, triaging things. And so if someone needs a specialist, we'll call that specialist and get them in and, and just take care of, of all their needs. So did you grow up kind of like a, a basketball fan or a sports fan at all? I was definitely a sports fan growing up. Um, interestingly, if, if my, my favorite sport is football. You know, I don't, I don't say this a lot around work because I live in Atlanta, but I'm a big New Orleans Saints fan. Who that? Um, I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because I the weekends and watching football is something I, I do with my family. And so when it came to take care of athletes, I was actually happy not to be taking care of an NFL team where I would possibly have to, you know, not be able to watch the Saints on Sunday or, or, or be able to do things from home. So I was always a sports fan, you know, did some fantasy basketball growing up and, and like a lot of, you know, kids my or people my age uh, would do. So it was just an opportunity to take care of, you know, elite athletes um, and, and basketball, baseball. I'm happy to do whatever that's to me. So describe to us what a normal day at work looked like for you before the whole coronavirus thing took over. Yeah, work has definitely changed for me over the last uh, week or two, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. But, you know, my normal days at work, you know, people have this uh, idea that if you take care of a professional team, that's your job. I don't work for the Atlanta Hawks. I work for Henry Healthcare. And so my general, my normal business days, I should say my normal days are going to work and seeing patients in the clinic from, you know, 8 to 4. 
Um, I do procedures in the office. I sometimes do procedures in a surgery center. And because we're in such close proximity, if there are any Atlanta Hawks players who have issues, they can literally come up the back steps and, and without even going to the waiting room, come into my office or one of my rooms, and I can go see them. However, most of the time, I don't interact with them a lot until I get down to the stadium. And so, you know, as a team physician, we don't generally travel with the team for basketball, that is. Different sports are different. So we, we kind of go to the home games. So I go to almost all the home games here in Atlanta. And so I'll go through my whole clinic till about 5 o'clock. And then I got to get to the stadium by about, you know, 6, 6.15 for a 7.30 tip-off. And when we get down there, if any athletes need to be seen, if there are any lingering issues or management issues, both see the athlete in the training room with the staff and the athletic trainers and performance specialists. And then after we do that, uh, the game starts, and then we kind of, you know, can watch the game, and hopefully no one gets injured, and we're there, our team, or if the other team gets injured, uh, to, to evaluate any, any players during the game that, that might need us. So how does your normal, like, how does a normal caseload compare to working with uh, players in the NBA? So it's different. I mean, my daily clinic is, is a hodgepodge. You know, I see patients from age 12 all the way up to 80-year-old or so, and you know, my focus is on people who are active. And so whether you're an active, you know, 75-year-old still trying to um, get on your bike or, 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 or be an active runner or golfer or tennis player, or you're 12 and you're playing Little League baseball and you injure your elbow because you've been throwing too many pitches. I mean, I see all that kind of stuff in my everyday life. And so you, you see your variety of kind of your novice athletes to your more elite athletes. Um, but some of them have very similar training regimens to some of our professional athletes and they're training for Ironman and their professional, you know, CrossFitters and, and doing things in their daily life. And so I always like to work on folks who, who want to get better. They want to get back to their sport and I want to get them back to the sport better than they ever were before. And that's kind of the way I, I approach everybody, no matter what their level is. So can you kind of talk on some of like the relationships you've you've had or, or you've grown to have, whether that be players or whether it be like other like team doctors, PTs, dietitians, stuff like that, and how you guys kind of work as a team for the players? So so my closest relationship with Chelsea Lane, Chelsea Lane is the vice president of athletic performance uh, with the Atlanta Hawks. She's been with us. This is her second year with us. She was with Golden State for three years before that. And so she's kind of in charge of the performance side of the training staff, right? So she's in charge of the athletic trainers and the nutritionists and dietitians and the strength and conditioning coaches. And then I'm kind of in charge of kind of the medical side of things that we have our own team of doctor. We have an orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Kyle Hammond. Uh, we have ophthalmologists. We have uh, some dentists who, who often come to our games and help us out when we need to. And so so we have our teams of folks, and Chelsea is kind of my liaison between myself and especially the front office and also sometimes the players. And so she's there doing the day-in and day-out management of the rehab of the players. And so for the most part, the players, they don't want to see me, right? I mean, I'm the doctor, and when they're coming to see me, something's obviously not going well in their rehab or not going well in their general illness or everyday life. But as I've grown to know some of the players and, uh, you know, they, they certainly have appreciated me, and I haven't met any of them who've, who've been nothing but, you know, nice to me and respectful to me. And even if you think about some of the characters we've had on the Hawks over the last few years and, and just being around them, um, I've enjoyed them all, you know, without going to specific names. We have, you know, 18-year-old guys, and we have some that are a little bit older than that. And so it's been great just kind of treating them all and, and uh, getting to know them um, a little bit. 
Yeah, so kind of a perfect segue into this next question. Like, theoretically speaking, if you were to have a player on your team who's who's older than most of the other players in the league, like, how do, how do you monitor monitor them just to make sure they're staying healthy and kind of where they need to be? So, uh, I think with age comes wisdom. <laughs> and so I think if you're going to make it in this league for, I don't know, say 19 or 20 years, you've learned a lot of how to persevere and how to actually uh, keep yourself on the court day in and day out. Um, and so, you know, individuals who most people can figure out, um, who are older and been in the league for a long time, they don't need my help as much as you would think they would. I mean, they're very diligent about their diet. They're very diligent about their rehab. They're very, very diligent about their game day routines and making sure they're ready to go when, when, when the, you know, when the whistle blows. So it, it is interesting though to see how that grows over time and having been with the team now for several years. You, see, you can see when the young guys come into the league, you, you can see some of their eating habits, you can see some of their workout habits, and they just, uh, you know, they learn from not only from the dietitians and nutritionists and myself, but also from the older players who have now uh, kind of taken it to a whole new level in terms of their training um, and their eating and, and just making sure they're, they're ready to, to be at the top of their game every night. So kind of on the flip side of that, so when you have a, a rookie come in, a scrawny, scrawny little rookie going against some of these bigger players like Kevin Durant or, or LeBron or something like that, because obviously they they don't have that muscle mass like they do, so they might be a little more prone to injury. How do you condition them or, or work with them so they don't get injured yep. as much and stuff like that? So it takes a few years to build an NBA body, right? We often don't see young people, kids, young adults in the NBA they may have individual success, but they often don't have a lot of team success. And I think some of that has to do with training their bodies to kind of handle the load. And so we definitely see with our younger guys when they first come into the league that they just don't know how to train their body to sustain 82 games and to sustain, you know, a playoff run at the end of that because they've never done it before. And so it's a lot of, you know, the term load management is thrown out a lot, but it's a lot of, you know, generating a program that you can optimize load I don't know if y'all are aware or most of the listeners are aware, but nowadays in the NBA, uh, we monitor everything. I mean, we're monitoring folks in their in their workouts. We monitor them on the court. A lot of time we monitor them when they're sleeping and their sleeping habits. Um, so we learn a lot about players and we learn a lot about how much they're exerting themselves. And so we can actually you know, know when people aren't doing enough, but we can also know when they're doing too much and when they might be at risk for injury. And so all that data now is starting to be used to kind of help manage our athletes and keep them fresh for, for the games. Can you talk a little more about the monitoring? Like, what, what all goes into that? Is it just watching them during practice or just during the game? So, yes. Yeah, so, um, not to get into specific brands, but there are a lot of wearable technologies now that the NBA is using. And so, they have wearable technology they wear during practice where it's literally just something that they wear, so they don't have to do anything but do the normal practice, but there's a reading going out uh, through Bluetooth or electronically to a device that, you know, sputters out these numbers, and then we have a, a, an analyst for the team who really puts it all together and, and helps to figure out uh, what it all means. And then the NBA does some in-game monitoring as well, where there's other wearable devices that's being used, and so we can look at the, some of the energy expenditure of athletes during the games and during practice. Um, and it's just kind of the next level of injury management that we're kind of going to. And then at nighttime, um, for example, just like you or I might wear an Apple Watch at night to kind of look at our sleep patterns, we do very similar things with our NBA athletes uh, to look at their sleep patterns. And I would say even in the four years I've been taking care of NBA athletes and, and professional athletes, looking at sleep patterns and sleep behaviors has become one of the one of the 
uh, biggest things that we've seen in terms of being able to uh, monitor an athlete's sleep and recovery, uh, and then hopefully will help prevent injuries as well. So you've written an article looking at the values of regenerative medicine, specifically talking about like the PRP and with red blood cells and how we basically have such a very short vision of what all our blood can do for us in regard to healing and longevity and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about this and what the league would look like without some of these regenerative treatments? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a big interest of mine from a, a, a research as well as a clinical point of view. I do a lot of regenerative medicine and you can't go a week without reading an article good or bad about an athlete who receives some of these treatments and, and, you know, whether they're all for it or all against it, it, it is a controversial topic still. But the basic idea behind this is that um, whether we're using our blood, which has platelets in it, or our uh, bone marrow or other tissues that maybe have some of these uh, cellular components like stem cells or mesenchymal cells in them, we're using our own body's healing powers or our own body's uh, products to create a healing response in an area or a tissue that's just not healing on its own. The example I often give is if you were to cut yourself and you start bleeding, the natural thing that happens is that your body will release these platelets from your blood. The platelets will form a little clot there and you'll scab it over and then it'll heal over a few weeks. And for the most part, once that's done, you won't even know that you cut yourself. And so the idea behind these treatments are that we're taking a extra amount of platelets and growth factors and healing factors we're putting them into an area that isn't healing very well to try to kind of jumpstart a healing response this is commonly done in, in, in patients who may or athletes that may have a bad achilles tendon issue or um or patella tendon or jumpers knee which we see a lot in basketball players so you're also currently working on a study that addresses knee arthritis are there, are there any implications that you can kind of early on, I don't know how far the study is, but that you can apply to professional sports? Yeah, our study is looking at uh, unilateral knee arthritis. We got a $13 million grant from the Marcus Foundation, which we're very thankful for. It's a multi-center study, which, which is uh, the first of its kind in this country, and we're, we're really excited about it. And I can tell you, it, it, it's impressive um, how some of these uh, professional athletes uh, have knees that, that don't look like 20-year-old knees or 25-year-old knees. Um, and so, yeah, I do think it's applicable because the whole idea of some of these treatments are to protect the joint uh, from further injury and delay the progression of these uh, arthritic or degenerative changes inside of their knee. And so a lot of athletes, they're okay when they're in shape and playing their sport and they probably don't have a whole lot of issues or trouble managing it. But when they get towards the end of their career or when they get after their career, then they start to have a lot more issues. And so this is an area, certainly of research, that, that we still need to figure out a lot of the answers. But this is an area that I hope we can delay the progression of their arthritis. I don't think we're going to be curing arthritis anytime soon with this. But I think we can make people feel better. And our data has shown that you know people are feeling better from these treatments. So we use this sometimes in the off-season for some of our athletes to try to get them stronger and feel better in their knees and it is something that we'll use a lot towards the end of their career or after their career to uh, get them through their life better so how do you make how do you make sure that the players on any of the teams you work for are getting the best like treatment possible so like staying on top of like research articles with the regenerative treatments or with the arthritis or stuff like that so like finding new studies how do you make sure you you stay on top of that or what do you look for yeah i mean i think that um 
I think in this situation of a lot of the proteins in Atlanta that Emory takes care of, um, at Emory, we do a lot of these regenerative treatments and we're kind of on the forefront. Uh, so we are very much, um, folks who know the literature, understand the literature and can discuss with our patients, the pros and cons of these treatments. Um, by no means do we ever, you know, tell our player they have to have this done or they need to have this done or this is the cure all for everything, but we do offer it as a treatment regimen. And sometimes we offer it in the off season, uh, because these things take a while to heal from and get better. And so are not always something that, that we can do in season and get to it back, you know, right away. I think in different teams, it's different. If you don't have someone who works closely with the team who does a lot of these treatments, then maybe it doesn't get offered as much. And, you know, I know there's some teams in the NBA that don't do as many of these treatments as, as we may do. And, and we don't do a ton of them, but, but, you know, we probably have done a, a couple most years. We've been on the team, two or three of them, I would say. And, and they've been very helpful for a lot of our players. What are some, if you can talk about this, some of the most common injuries that you address with your athletes? And are there any similarities between professional sports? Yeah, I think different sports have different types of injuries you see more commonly. So with basketball, it's a lot of foot and ankle injuries and knee injuries would be the second most common, right? So a lot of bas- every basketball player sprains their ankle and, and most of them have a little bit of some chronic ankle stuff going on from, from spraining it multiple times in their past. I mentioned before jumper's knee, which is a tendonitis in the front of your knee, really common in jumping sport athletes like basketball or volleyball. Uh, so we see a fair amount of that as well. Um, I mentioned the Achilles tendon in the back of the in the back of the ankle. Um, that can also be injured in basketball players, or, or they can even tear their Achilles or get some tendonitis there. So we do see a lot of overuse injuries and sprains um, in the lower extremity. Uh, if you compare it to a sport like baseball. You know, obviously they do a lot of, of elbow down injury, a lot of hand and wrist in baseball, a lot of elbow injuries in baseball, a lot of shoulder injuries in baseball. Uh, you know, football has a lot more traumatic injuries, so you see a lot more ACL injuries and concussions and other things. And depending on the sports you take care of, you're definitely going to get clusters of of certain injuries that you may see more of and certainly should become more of an expert in. So right now, I'm not sure if you if you will see any injuries from the leg or anything like that. It might be more like thumbs from all the players playing Xbox too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you what are your thoughts on everything going on right now with the with the coronavirus? Yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy time in this country and in the world for sure. So I was at the NBA game. Uh, the Hawks were playing on that Wednesday night when they kind of suspended the league, and I remember being in the clubhouse. And you hear them talk about, you know, the other game, the Utah game that was suspended, and you don't really know why. Then you hear about, you know, Rudy uh, Gobert's test came out positive. And then you hear, you know, they're shutting down the whole league. Um, we're suspending play in the NBA. And I remember being like, okay, there were five minutes left in the fourth quarter when we got the message. And so we didn't know whether to stop the game or what we were supposed to do at that point. So it was really weird. And literally, as we were walking out to kind of make a decision about what to do with the game, then, then there was a, another uh, message saying, well, they said to finish the games that are going on right now. Uh, so we finished the game, obviously, the last few minutes. They went to overtime, of course, uh, so with a few extra minutes. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, the players came back to the locker room. Um, our owner was there, um, our general manager, myself, and, and, and Chelsea, um, who I mentioned before, we all kind of addressed the team and just talked a little bit about it and you know the Hawks have been great uh you know we've been given educational sessions even for the week or two before that on hand washing and do's and don'ts and giving our players a lot of information on it and then it was kind of a weird period because then they let players come in and do some workout but it was only individual no team practices 
And then for the last week, our facility's pretty much been shut down completely, and so our players are not even coming to the facility. Uh, they're pretty much just uh, at home now, um, like most of the country, certainly not staying in basketball shape, um, and hopefully um, just trying to stay safe out there. I mean, it's crazy, and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'm certainly not um, on the meetings with the with the league to know when the, they're going to do anything, but, um, you know, our players are all safe. They're They're all doing well right now. You know, we have not had a player test positive for, for the for the coronavirus at this point. Um, and so we're just kind of monitoring them, checking them, checking in on them every day and giving them some rehab to do, giving them some workouts to do, um, and just telling them to be smart like all of us. So you talked about um, what you've been telling your players, but is there anything that you could recommend to our listeners during this time to kind of stay healthy? Certainly you can go to the CDC and get the guidelines for the hand washing and uh, for how to avoid exposure. Uh, but, you know, the thing I worry about as a sports medicine physician is uh, exercise and mental health to some degree as well. And so I think we, especially for kids, right, there was this whole Play 60 movement that's been going on for years where kids need 60 minutes of kind of playtime a day and it should be outdoors and it can be free play. And, you know, all my kids' sports are canceled now. Um, my eight-year-old doesn't get his soccer, he doesn't get his baseball practice, and so he can't really play with the neighborhood kids anymore. And so I think it's really important that our kids are exercising, that adults are exercising, and, and whether that's through you know, workout tapes or whether that's through working, walking in the neighborhood or running or biking or jogging, uh, we can socially distance and we can isolate before our physical and mental health. I think it's really important that we all stay active during this time because there's so many negative health repercussions of, of not. Um, and I'm not sure that's really talked about enough on the news and in and, and all the press conferences that I've seen. That's one thing that I've I've honestly noticed as well, because with classes online now, uh, I find myself being seated a lot more, obviously. Um, And it's just the whole sedentary lifestyle is like, oh, no, I got to move. And it hit me yesterday. I was like, okay, I got I got to do something. I was getting a little stir crazy, but I was able to work a a workout in. But on a lighter note, um, are there any like highlights or favorite moments of your career thus far? It doesn't have to be with professional sports, but um, like what's been a a highlight of you being a, a doctor? Boy, I, I've had a I've had a blessed career. I've had so many uh, great things happen to me. And honestly, if I if I look if I looked at when I started my career and kind of put a check mark by everything I wanted to you know accomplish in my career, um, I've done it. I've done pretty much everything, and I'm only 46, so I feel very fortunate in that way. Certainly, I think. Um, uh, being named a head team physician from a professional basketball team or professional sports, it was a very big deal to me, and, and it's certainly one of the highlights of my career uh, when that happened. I, I run a fellowship. I started a fellowship about 10 years ago, and I train you know, now usually about three fellows a year who are people going into sports medicine. Um, I'm, I'm the fellowship director. They train at, at Emory. But uh, just training uh, fellows uh, year in and year out and, and seeing them go off and do great things is certainly a, a proud moment for me, too. Uh, I like to experience that. And the research I'm starting to do and the impactful research that we're starting to do with some of these cellular treatments um, and being able to present at some of the bigger conferences about these treatments um, has been a highlight for me as well and something that I hope over the next 15 or 20 years I get to continue to do um, because I really enjoy that as well. And honestly, those day-to-day uh, challenges of just seeing patients at the office and being able to kind of help folks who, who maybe hadn't been able to get help before and, and, and you know, making people um, at ease with whatever's going on with them and, and helping them through it and 
you know, I'm, I'm, I always say I'm not curing cancer or, or, or treating uh, terminally ill patients uh, in my clinic, but to give people back the quality of life is quite rewarding. So you mentioned earlier that that you get to go to all the or you get you get to go to the home games, which I'm sure is pretty amazing. Um, do you sit behind like the team during that time? Yeah. So our seats, it's interesting because our seats are actually in the stands; they're not actually on the bench. So the first year, we were just literally about 10 rows up in the stands, kind of in the middle of all the action, throwing t-shirts and everything else. And, and it was a little bit disconcerting to try to focus on the game. And so they moved us down lower. Um, but part of the rationale is that if you're really right behind the team, you really can't see much because we have all these tall players and they'd be right in front of us. So <laughs> we actually do get a little bit of a better view being, being a few rows up. Uh, so oftentimes, you know, we sit in those seats a few rows up. Uh, sometimes we're back in the clubhouse and we have, you know, the live stream of the game going on. Um, so we're, we're watching back there. And, and certainly if someone needs us from our team or the other team, uh, we're ready to go at, at a moment's notice. Most games we, we, did ha- we do have, and I mentioned before, a dentist as well as an eye doctor at a game. So if we have any kind of dental or eye you know, emergencies, we have specialists there to help with that. Um, we also have excellent uh, EMTs and, and medics at our games uh, um, if we need them too. And so we're pretty well stocked to kind of deal with anything that happens at the game. Um, and it, it is a team approach. So you mentioned earlier that um, you also have players that come in kind of like the back door and they bypass the uh, the, the waiting room. Do you ever get starstruck in, in that moment or do you just have like personal handshakes with each and every one? Yeah, so, you know, probably the only person in my career I've ever been sort of starstruck seeing, and I can say his name because uh, he's put it out there on some um, stuff that he sent us, had been when Matthew McConaughey came into the patient, and that was about 10 years ago, because I like that guy, and he's been in a lot of good movies. (laughs) And I've seen a few other kind of celebrity-type people, but honestly, after doing this for a while, you treat them like just any other patient, and, and that's what they respect about you, right? I mean, I'm not one who's ever going to be, you know, taking selfies with these players or, or with these celebrities. I just treat them like, like they would expect to be treated. They want you to kind of treat them like anybody else and to just focus on their problem and not give them some kind of star treatment other than that backdoor <laughs> entry. So that's the way I do it. Um, and honestly, now, you know, it, it's pretty much just kind of second nature to be around these guys, especially the Hawks guys, um, and, and, we just act like it's, it's totally normal. You don't have to downplay it for us. I, I, I'm sure you get pretty excited seeing Migos and Trey Young and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trey's always got some folks uh, at the games for sure, and yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of rappers at the Atlanta Hawks games as well in the in the front row and, and singing the halftime and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exciting to be around that stuff for sure. Um, but when I'm seeing them. Honestly, I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm seeing Trey Young or, or I'm seeing, you know, Cam Reddish it's, or Vince Carter. It's more about just uh, trying to help them and, and trying to figure out what's going on with them and, and make them feel better and make them feel comfortable, right? You want to make them feel like that, uh, you know, you're just talking to them and not thinking about who they are. So do you get to go to any of the Braves games or, or Globetrotter games or anything like that also? Yeah, I go to – we have a group of uh, – the Atlanta Braves are covered by a few different uh, orthopedic groups in town. Emory, you know, we are the official healthcare providers, and I cover about 15 or so of their games every year. And occasionally, like for the playoffs, we do get to travel with the team. So I, I did get to travel some of the Braves last year uh, when they were in St. Louis in the, in the playoffs as well. Um, and with the Globe Trotters, you know, the Globe Trotters are interesting because, um, as most people know, they go all over the world. And so, you know, being the medical director for the Harlem Globe Trotters is really mostly about 
tele telecommunication more than anything else and, and kind of staying in touch with what's going on with them if they get injured. Uh, but their headquarters are in Atlanta, and so they do come through here for their preseason, and we do get to uh, kind of see them at that time. And um, I do get to go watch them play when they come here, and, and certainly if they have any issues, I'll, I'll see them in the office. But they're traveling so much, a lot of time we're kind of more like a – uh, a traveling secretary trying to coordinate what doctor we might know in a different city to, to help them. And kind of talking about that, is there any professional table talk between team doctors on different teams? Like, are you are you asking them uh, how, like, in a better way, how or not in a better way, but in a different way that they're taking care of their players, maybe compared to you? Yeah, so a lot of at a lot of our professional organization meetings, uh, we do talk about uh, the way we treat certain things and and kind of compare notes, so to speak. And like the NBA team physician has a society, and we meet a couple times a year and and do a lot of in-house stuff where we're talking about some of those things. It's always a balance between you know what a team's doing that might be a competitive advantage, which we certainly wouldn't want to give away, versus just good medical care, which which we love to talk to each other about to try to get better at it. And, and we also learn from the European soccer, you know, doctors out there. They'll come over to this country and, and talk about some of their injuries and some of their uh, performance, uh, injury performance and injury management schemes that they do and injury prevention programs that they do. And so we learn that way as well. And that's, you know, sports medicine physicians is not a huge field um, throughout the world. And so we get to know folks in other countries as well and, and compare notes too. So how does that kind of work? Is there like a, a team doctor for each team and then maybe a, a team doctor for the G League and then like a team doctor for the NBA, like in the front office itself? With the NBA, there is a, there is a chief medical officer, Dr. John DiFiorio, the chief medical officer of the NBA. He kind of oversees all of the medical health and all kind of team physicians. And then every team has at least uh, two team physicians, generally one who does more of the orthopedic musculoskeletal side of things, and then one who does more of the general medical and health side of things. And then, yeah, if we have a G League team, we, we have uh, one of our younger partners, uh, is our G League team physician, uh, Dr. Bowers, and he takes care of uh, the G League down in Atlanta as well. That's awesome. Well, I, I definitely have learned a lot. I didn't realize like everything that went into to being a team doctor and being able to work while still being a team doctor for three teams is pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, juggling all the teams. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a busy life. You know, I keep saying right now I'm just going to keep chugging along and keeping my head down and I got four kids at home, and I, I like to do a lot of things with my kids and my family. I coach my son's uh, baseball team when, when he had a baseball team, and you know I keep busy, but uh, it's all rewarding work, and, and you know I love doing it. Well, Doctor Ken, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We, like Nick said, we've learned a lot, and we really appreciate you having uh, time for us. Hey, well, thanks for having me um, on the show, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I wasn't too boring, and hopefully, y'all learned a few things. And yeah, you know, yeah, good luck to y'all in your podcast.